Strangers. My name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina. And this is Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. We would love you guys so much if you would leave us reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts. If you are not subscribed already, please do so. Thank you so much. You don't know what I'm doing today. I don't know what you're doing today. So, <laughs> surprise me. Dun, dun, dun. Drum roll, please. Okay. It's very so, late. Fair warning. <laughs> you will hear page turning because I went old school and I... Did you just disclaimer your pages? Yes. <laughs> I was waiting for you to disclaim like what the content <laughs> was and you were, I was like, okay, what are we in for? Are we in for necrophilia? Are we in for incest? Are we in for no, rape? No. Are we in for what? And you're like, well, just so you know, I'm going to turn pages. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a bit. So I will just put a disclaimer out that... There is gruesome graphic parts, but it's murder. So, so it's more like nice gory? It. A little gory. Okay. And there is a part where there's a theory that's sexually graphic. Okay. So I will let you know so you can hit that skip button for 30 seconds. Okay. So today I am going to tell you about the Velisca Axe Murder House. Have you heard about this? I think so. <laughs> Here's my thing. Maybe it'll ring some bells. I play I podcasts in the background as like almost like white Same. noise at this point. So this sounds familiar, but I'm guessing that I have heard it and didn't pay attention. Okay. Okay. Well. Great. I. So that is where we're at. to grab your attention. Thanks. Because I found myself actually freaking myself out by Ooh. the time I went to sleep. And oh, if it unnerves you, then a little bit only because I was out in the living room by myself in the dark. Watching oh, okay, videos. great. So by the time we finish this, it'll be like <laughs> one a.m. and then I'll get in my car and drive home in the dark. Oh, Perfect. Thank you. There's an open invitation for you to stay here in the dark attic. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. This is the infamous Felisca Axe Murder House that I am going to tell you about. Okay. This takes place in Iowa. Ooh, that's where my mom's from. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh, let's call Vicky and see if she, I bet she knows about this. All right. So I'm going to start with naming off everyone in this family. I don't know why I keep doing stories or cases where there's a lot of people to keep track of because I am not the person to keep track of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this involves a total of eight victims. Boy. And a fairly big amount of suspects and the, a lot of people involved in all of this. So oh. the dad is Joe Moore. His wife's name is Sarah. So they're the Moore family. They have four kids, 11-year-old Herman, 10-year-old Catherine, 7-year-old Boyd, and 5-year-old Paul. They're a very religious family. And he's a prominent man in his community. He owns a couple businesses. He owns an implement store, which is a small town like hardware store. He had recently started this by himself. He had branched out because he used to work for someone who had an implement store. And he brought the biggest account with him, which was John Deere which we know oh. is, you know, one of the biggest companies around with uh, big farm equip equipment. Right. On June 9th, 1912, this is the same year that the Titanic sank, fun fact. Hmm. So on June 9th, this was a Sunday, the whole family had gone off to serve to church service and they went to the evening service, so about 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They, you know, sat through the service. And then afterwards, the mother, Sarah, led a kid gathering for uh, the kids in the community at the church. And there were two girls who had been at the church by themselves. 
uh, that their grandmother had left them there to stay for the kids' service. Mm-hmm. Later in the afternoon at this point, it was starting to get dark. And so the mother, Sarah, and of course, I'm sure the kids probably asked for the two girls, the Stillinger girls, to stay the night with them, with the Moore family. Okay. This was Lena and Ina Stillinger. The girls initially were going to go to their grandma's house, which was a couple blocks from the Moore's house. But it was getting too dark at this point for these two girls to walk alone. They were 12 and 10. Okay. So the Moore family invited them to stay the night. Mr. Moore, Joe, calls the Stillinger family. The Stillinger mom and dad were not inside the house. So their older daughter, Blanche, picks up the phone. Joe talks to her, tells her, you know, hey, the girls are staying over. Mm -hmm. Blanche says, yeah, I'll give my parents the message. No problem. So she gives her parents the message that, hey... My sisters are staying over at the Moore's house. It's getting late. It's getting dark. One thing to note is that the city was darker than usual at this point because the city lights were out. The town was having a dispute with the city about the maintenance of the city lights and who should pay for them and how they should get. Right. So there was not a strike, but just a dispute. So the lights were off at this point. So there's no street lights. So everyone is, as soon as the sun comes down, it is dark in this town at this time. That's a little unnerving. Right. The six of the Moors and the two cylinder girls go over to the Moore house. And as far as everyone knows, they eat supper. They're in bed around 11, 1130 that night. Um, Iowans are going to love the fact that you just said supper. <laughs> this is something that I go back and forth about with my mother all the time about because she says supper. Does she? And all of my friends over the years have picked up on it and they thought like it was odd like because it's not something that we use out here in the oh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. We say dinner. Out there they say supper. So Iowans, this Points. one's for real. There you go. Yeah. Bunch and... of weirdo. No. <laughs> It's a Midwest thing. I don't actually don't know why I said supper. Yeah, it's totally Weird. a Midwestern thing. Well, it's calculated that maybe they were in bed by 11, 1130 that night. Okay. That evening. No one knows what happened exactly mm-hmm. or when it happened exactly. <gasps> so the next morning, Morse's neighbor, Mary, woke up at 5 a.m., And started hanging her clothes on the clothesline. She noticed that the Moore family wasn't up and running and wasn't, no one was up yet. Mm -hmm. It was very unusual for the Moores. This was a Monday morning, so this is a day of business for the, for Joe. And the mother was usually either up doing chores already. Kids are going to school. Right. Everyone's waking up. Blinds are pulled up by this point. But no, the house is completely still. She says, you know, maybe they're sleeping in doesn't think too much about it at this point but just notices it right okay she then comes back out at 7 a.m to pick up her clothes from the clothesline and still sees that there is no movement at the house she sees that the chores aren't getting done you know like either chopping the wood or Mm -hmm. you know what have you there's no one's out and about doing anything in the house and then she also notices that all the blinds are pulled down in the house which is very abnormal because their house would be pitch black yeah right so so nosy neighbor becomes concerned neighbor exactly so at this point she goes and knocks on the door of course no one answers so she goes back to her house and she picks up her phone calls the operator connects to joe's brother ross who's in town as well and says hey have you seen your brother do you have you talked to your family he's like no ross at this point is um not a business partner with joe but it is his brother so he calls his business his um let's just call it hardware store and says you know is joe there has he showed up and Mm -hmm. the ranch hands say no 
he's not here. He also owns a farm. He's like, no, I was actually wondering where he's at because no one's come in to feed the, the animals yet. And he only has the key for where the food is stored. Uh-oh. So Ross shows up first to the business, opens up, you know, because business has to go on. All the employees right. are there. And then he goes over to the Morse's house Talks to Mary for a second, looks around. Yeah, things look weird. Knocks on the door. No one's answering. And he pulls out, you know, his bundle of keys. And he's shaking at this point, looking for the right key. He does have a key to the house. He finally finds the skeleton key that goes to the front door. Opens the front door. And the house is pitch black. The amount of anxiety I'm feeling right now leading up to this is just like so Ross goes into the house and he's you know calling out for his brother calling out for his sister-in-law calling out for all for anyone no Mm -hmm. one's answering the first room that he walks into is the Morse kids Mm -hmm. and he sees they're all covered with their bed sheets but he starts seeing blood all over the room. Oh, gosh. He immediately runs out. He immediately runs out of the house. Smart man. Goes to Mary's house, the next door neighbor, to call in one of the, one of Joe's, you know, right-hand mans at his business and says, come down here now, bring the marshal with you. Eventually... The marshal gets there, and this is when he's quoted saying that it's darker than dark in there, darker than the night. Can't in there. see your hand in front of you. Type Cannot of dark. see anything okay. because all the blinds are pulled down. And because this is a small town, he'd been a newly appointed marshal. He was very much a novice, and he didn't know exactly what to do. So this is one of the most botched crime scenes. I have ever heard of. Oh, no. Well, yeah, because small town, you don't see things like this. Right. This is, what year is this? 1912. Yeah, so forensics aren't a thing. It is not a thing yet. Right. So the first thing that he sees, because Ross had already pulled the blanket off of the two girls sleeping in their own room, the two more girls, they were fully decapitated. Ooh. We've been a little heavy on the decapitation lately. Now we know that proper procedure is leave everything as is, you know, take pictures before you do anything. Don't touch anything. Don't walk around everywhere. Wear gloves. And so he walks room to room and he's peeling back the blankets from everyone. So this is something worth noting, though, that the blankets had been pulled completely over the dead bodies. Hmm. So they were covered after the fact. Right. Almost like you would cover a body with like exactly. a white sheet type thing. Right. Yeah. The mother was the one that was most brutally mutilated. There was an axe leaning up against the bed. So it, the murder weapon was just there for them to find. There was no trying to figure out what the murder weapon was. It was mm-hmm. an axe that belonged to the Moors. It's believed that whoever did this picked the weapon up from the backyard and it was just a weapon of opportunity. It was just available. All of them were hit or struck with the axe from the chin up. Interesting. Nothing to their bodies. Hmm. All of them were unrecognizable. Oh gosh. It just all of a sudden it clicked with me. I'm like, wow, they took an axe to the face. Yep. Boy. And... There's blood splatter everywhere because they're swinging an axe. Yeah. And also in the kids' room, uh, because they were upstairs, they were in a sloped attic. Mm -hmm. So, and this happened in all the rooms, but especially in the kids' room, there was gouges in the ceiling from the upswing. But also in the parents' room, there was some gouges as well. Which is going to come into play. Well, because it's it, it will, but depends on the axe. It could have a long arm on it. Okay. And it could be a, you know, likely taller person. 
Okay. So, um, I guess they could have figured that out too. How tall the person was. Yeah, they would be able to tell that. Hmm. You could tell that by wherever the gouge marks were in the wall. Along with, I would think, the spray pattern and stuff like that. The marshals started calling for backup and started asking for more reinforcements. That obviously opened up the floodlines to the operators. This not only was it already a shocking story of what had happened to this family, it was taking over the headlines, obviously, locally and started spreading because it's a huge story. Well, Eight yeah. people. Something very interesting and coming back to the operators, the telephone operators, was that the Stillinger family called later that afternoon. They called the Moore family. Oh, crap. I forgot about those two. Right. To call and ask, hey, are my girls on their way yet? And the way that the news was broke to them was that the operator, well, they asked to be connected to the Moore family mm-hmm. or the Moore house. And the operator said, sorry, we can't connect you. There's no one there to answer your phone because the Moore family was all killed last night. That's so this is the way that really the Stillingers found them out. them into it. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately, because of the mutilation that happened to the faces and their bodies, and because these are two girls who are not family, no one knew at the time that the Stillinger girls were over at the Moore house. So they knew that, you know, there's six more family members, but the two Stillinger they girls... They hadn't identified them. Right. At oh, this point, they didn't know who they were. Gosh. And it was because of a telephone operator that the Stillingers found out. And the telephone what operator had, had no idea. Yeah. Right. That they were Stillinger <sighs> girls. So next to the, the bed that the Stillinger girls were sharing... There was, and this is really, really, really weird. Um, So around the house, I will say this, all the mirrors were covered. Hmm. In front of the mom or the parents' bed, there was a gas lamp with the wick all the way out. So it had been burned all the way. There was another gas lamp in front of the kid's bed. Again, the wick all the way out Mm -hmm. in front of a mirror. There was another gas lamp in the room that the Cylinder girls were sharing. And there was also a four-pound slab of bacon covered in fabric. I'll circle back to that. Where was the, where was the four pounds? Laying in front of the floor, in front of the bed. On the floor in oh, front the of the bed. the Cylinder girl bed. Mm-hmm. Weird. Okay. Right. Super random. Yeah. The... More family was upstairs. Also, the marshal noticed that there was a plate of food laid on the floor right before he went up the flight of stairs Hmm. that also had some blood on it, but it was a full plate of food that had not been eaten. I'll get back to that as well. Okay. Okay. So... Is anybody from the family missing? No. So whoever did this is not part of the Moore family. Correct. Okay. Everyone's accounted for. What I'm going to go into next is what happened, and it all happened so fast. So this was fascinating to the town. Right. Again, there's no procedure to follow as far as crime scene investigation at this point. So they're all coming over for the morbid curiosity of what happened. They they want to see it firsthand. I feel like, okay, this is triggering something for me. Didn't they, like, basically people were doing, like, a house tour with the mm-hmm. bodies in the... Yep, the, absolutely. Yeah, and people were just, like, walking Hundreds. through like it was a museum. Hundreds of people. And... Where have I later And later on, the marshal, when he was on a, a grand jury, he was asked, you know, why did you let this happen? And he said that he tried stopping it. But he was only one man. He didn't have any other resources. And there was hundreds, literally hundreds of people that if he stopped them at the front door, they would go out, they would go inside through the back door and vice versa. Oh, no. So people were going in and out and people were taking tokens or pieces. Someone even took a piece of Joe's skull and eventually, years later, it was found hanging at a local bar. 
Oh my gosh. Like, framed that this was part of Josiah's school. And wasn't there somebody that like tried to take pictures or something like that? And yes. that person was like ostracized. So what happened with the person that tried to take pictures was that they they snapped some pictures. I don't know exactly of what, but Ross saw that and had an altercation with this person, took the camera away, slammed it on the ground inevitably developing or exposing the film to sunlight and rendering that film useless, Mm -hmm. not knowing that maybe that could have, those pictures could have been helpful in in the long run. But in that moment, Ross just thought it was just this inappropriate, rude thing to do to take pictures of his dead family members. So yes, there was someone that took pictures, but Ross confronted them outside the house and destroyed the camera and the film right outside. But that's like an evidence nightmare. You just have all these people traipsing through the house. Oh, absolutely. The fact that someone took part of Joe, Joe's skull, who does that? Well, not who does that, but... But yeah, who does who that? Who does that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so the next day, there were bloodhounds brought in from Nebraska to try and find the scent of who the perpetrator would have been. And the bloodhounds did pick up on a scent at the front doorstep. So they had the bloodhounds follow the scent and it led them into the woods. Mind you, this whole time, there's a crowd of a thousand plus people following them. Just again. Because this is a community activity. (laughs) What else are you going to do on a Tuesday (laughs) or a Monday? It is a Tuesday. I figured it was the next day. Yeah. So these bloodhounds take them through the woods and eventually they lead up to a riverbank where they do find fresh footprints leading into the river. The trainers of the bloodhounds let them chase their scent or, you know, their trail through the river, but lose it at the other side. That was it. There was no right. no other leads to go on after that. And they also brought in a fingerprint analyst. They didn't know much about it at this time. They right. were just starting to learn about it, how they can lift the prints, how to study them, they how to preserve in the them. Fingerprint analyst after all of these people toured the house. Right. So Boy. that is one of the <laughs> one of the points um, on this. So he came in on Wednesday. He looked at that and was like. Hell no. (laughs) But before he even got to look at anything, again, this was a bustling town in the way that uh, this was a major train hub. So a lot of goods were brought in through here or, you know, a lot of trains came by. So he came in by train and the day that he came in, he was so drunk that he stumbled out of the train car and he couldn't go directly to work. So they had to carry him into a hotel room. Oh, my gosh. Let him sleep it off. So it wasn't until the next day, so that Thursday. That he comes through hungover. Right. Where he's very hungover, and he's looking at the scene. And like you said, this had already been trampled over by the entire town and their mom. Literally everybody's fingerprints are all over that house. So... There's not, there's no prints that he could lift. Plus the technology at that time is bad. So they didn't even have technology. He probably just put on a piece of paper, put it on a piece of paper and looked and saw if they were similar or not. Right. That'd be my guess. Right. Like it's all by the eye. It's, and it's so weird to think that. Yeah. Like there's not a computer that's doing <laughs> the a nine or 12 up point. In crime scene investigation is great. <laughs> Although he didn't do... Almost jack shit with the fingerprints. He did do some other work that may or may not be helpful. So he did some blood spatter analysis. And with the analysis that he did, he did determine and say with his certainty, I don't know how much you want to believe this guy, that the axe wielder would have been left-handed. So that cuts it down on the population. On okay. who could it have been? Based on what? I they didn't say. I couldn't find what because if you just 
how do you, how can you tell on the uh, only way you could tell? Unless it's like a left swing, like a. Well, no. So the only way you could tell is based on, he's a fingerprint analyst, right? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Oh, they they have the, the axe. What am I thinking? Prince on the axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, on hand, which hand was is dominant. First. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I would naturally put my right hand first on dominant. Top. Yeah. Lefty would go. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yes, that is uh, <laughs> that's good detective work. <laughs> I watch Law and & Order and CSI. Thank you. That's as much as they can get off the scene itself so the evidence that they've collected right it's kind of laughable they didn't get the go-ahead to move the bodies until even later than that oh so from the time that they found them it wasn't until about 28 hours later that they actually moved the bodies to a morgue that's still gross it's still a long time well 28 hours probably after they found them right lord knows how long they've already been dead estimated time or that everyone thinks that this happened around was around midnight. One of the theories that, and again, this is 1912. So very primitive, I guess I want to say. Yeah. Um, one of the theories that are rumors that were flying around town. And one of the hopes that the townspeople had was that maybe they can get a picture of the murder off of Sarah's retina. What? Right. That's not how that works. Right. <laughs> Your eyeball's not a camera. And then the townspeople were informed that, unfortunately, the retina Is was not, a not complete. Well, that too, but it was not left intact after the attack. So... So that's it the was, issue. So that's the reason why no oh one. Oh my could. gosh! So I I They're don't like, I'm know. I'm sorry, but her retina is just not there. <laughs> if we had the retina, we Maybe. would know who did it. One of the theories that is uh, flying around, or that was flying around, and also ended up dividing the town in the long run, was that the prior boss to Joe who also was a businessman and had a hardware store in town, was jealous of Joe, of him just being a personable, happy-go-lucky, successful business person. Mm -hmm. And because he had taken the John Deere account from him. Oh. So he was his competitor i guess ended up being his competitor at the okay. end of all this in in the in the business world and there's also rumors that and i don't know how true this is but again the rumors that were the operators or the operator ladies because you know that was a female occupation they would listen in to Joe's phone calls that he had with possibly this man's cousin and was having an affair. Ooh. So she, they would have conversations and then she would very nonchalantly knowing that people can be listening because the operators are nosy and this is a thing. They just know that operators are listening. Dude, if I had this job, this is all I would do. (laughs) If I had been an operator, I'd have been like, let me see what, um, let's see what Joe's up to down the street. Right. Why are you talking to Pam? There he goes talking to Pam again. (laughs) She's making meatloaf. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But she would very nonchalantly say like, Oh, he's home. He's not home. Come over. Don't come over. Like they weren't even talking in code. They, they weren't were just trying straight to... up saying this is according to the operators. So who's already proven to be a little untrusting oh, with information. Tell me about it. Oof. Okay. So this divided the town for Team Jones that was like, no, he's not capable of, capable of you know either hiring someone or he wouldn't he's take it out man, on Joe this yeah. way, and he wouldn't vice hurt versa. the kids, right? Yeah. Exactly. 
And also there was a religious factor to this. One was Methodist, one was Presbyterian. Right. So divided the town right down the middle and people chose their side and who they wanted to stand by and probably made t-shirts. Just kidding. This is so, (laughs) it's so funny to me because I grew up watching the Waltons, um, which I don't know what that is. White people shit. Okay. (laughs) So I grew up watching the Waltons, which is a show about a family that took place in Virginia during the great depression or whatever. And there's a, there's an underlying theme of like the Methodists versus the Presbyterians Weird. or whatever, or the Baptists oh. or whatever. And at one point, the grandma on the show gets pissed about something that's happening at the church. And she turns around to the pastor. She's Baptist and turns around to the pastor. And she'll, she's like, I'll turn Methodist. And she threatens to turn Methodist Weird. over it. And then her husband later on makes a joke, like the pastor comes to the husband and is like, she's really upset. She threatened to turn Methodist. And he was like, I thought I felt the earth shake a little bit ago. And they make a joke about it. But it's like a real thing. Like back then that they were like, the idea that those two might even relatively be the same thing. They were like, no, no. no. I am Baptist. Weird. You are Methodist. They are Presbyterian. Like, they were very different. That's so weird. And you better recognize how different you they were. Recognize. Because they, they, the older generation would literally use that as a threat. They were like, I'm I will turn switch. Methodist if you piss yeah. me off. Yeah. And then that would make them part of the other team. Just kind of like what you're saying. That's, it divides the town. Yeah. Here's one of the theories that has some validity to it. And some just uh, a little too stretched out to make it true. So there's a woman that used to live in Villisca with her husband, who one year almost to the date had been killed in a riot that was at their business. Mm-hmm. And she moved out of state. That was at the Moore's business? No, no, no. Oh. So there it's just this woman that used to live there with her husband. They owned a business. They owned a business. Got it. And about a year ago before this, he had gotten killed in a riot that was at the business. Okay. Apparently people just started, you know, rioting. Well, yeah. Light I mean, companies, this city lights. When you're they're just like Baptist versus Methodist, <laughs> things get wild. <laughs> so the theory goes that this woman had hired a hitman to go kill the man that had killed her husband. Oh, savage. But that the hitman got it wrong. Oh. That she had given the hitman instructions to go 11 houses north of the church and the Moors actually lived 11 houses west of the church. See, I could never be a hitman because I don't know my north, south, east, west. If somebody like, told I'm me just going to go, go 11 north, houses each way and just... I'm like, what direction is that? Preferably point. <laughs> but she, it said that she hired a hitman that was Native American and that he got this wrong, the count of or the direction, mm-hmm. and that there was footprints of what they believe were moccasins on the front oh. door of the Morse's house. Whoa. But that's it. That's where it ends. That's where that theory ends. And. But also if it was the moccasin scent that the bloodhounds point? picked up and followed through the woods mm-hmm. and through the river. But at what point were the moccasins identified as footprints on the doorstep? Was it after the entire town came through <laughs> right. the tour? Right. Like <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yes, it had to have been because there was no investigation, yeah. quote unquote, investigation. So that happening seems shaky day three. to me. Yeah. So that, except for the 11 thing, the 11 houses thing, that's. Like, that is very that strange. Is very big coincidence. But who is this information according to? Is it uh, her? It's probably just Was she like, okay, so I hired a so hitman. Hit this is what happened. And I want my money back because he needed yeah. the job right. Um, do you not know your north and south and east and west? <laughs> Thank you so much. Never eat soggy waffles. <laughs> what? No, it's sour That's what watermelon. It is. It's sour watermelon. It's never eat soggy waffles. Why? I would eat sour watermelon. I would eat soggy waffles. Ew. <laughs> Haven't you ever had watermelon sour patches? No. Ew, I hate sour stuff. Oh, 
How did I not know this? I hate sour stuff. Oh, I live for sour stuff, but it's because I it. I can't eat chocolate, uh, so I feel like that's my only option. Does it make your like mouth water and stuff? Not, and, like, not water, hurt? but it hurt right here. I love oh. that feeling. Oh, it makes me want sour I patches right now. Hate it. Ugh. Berry sour patches. Stop it. That's You're making my me hurt. Shit. Like it literally makes me it's hurt. my favorite thing ever. <laughs> love them. All right. The last theory is maybe the most, the one that stuck with me the most. And it has a lot of weird coincidences that happened with it that make you think. Coincidences. Coincidence. Coincidence. Okay, I'm done talking. Coincidences. Okay, bye. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. So, um, so this is the one that you're buying. This is the one that I'm buying. Okay. Got I'm it. throwing my money at it because it makes the most sense. All in. And this is of a traveling reverend, Reverend Kelly. And he is weird. Everyone says that he is just a little off and that he's just a string bean of a guy. He's you know, small in stature, doesn't weigh more than 110 pounds, Ooh. you know, wet. So tiny. he's a really tiny guy. So it goes back and forth on this because it's, um, some people say, did he's he have the strength to do small this? Too small to do the right. actual, so, that's a know, lot of physical force. Exactly. He had been in church with the family on June 9th for the child, the day of the child services and he that was his first night in Villisca okay the night of June 9th and mind you he's an out-of-towner and by the next morning he was on a train back to another town by 5 30 in the morning so this is at least two three hours before the murder was the murder scene was discovered right and so at that point no one thought anything of it other than you know this was a man that had been in town no one had put two and two together at this point but as he's traveling along and he becomes obsessed with the details of the murder and he starts writing these long rambling letters about how the murders happened almost like he's reporting it but at the same time he's giving details as if he had been there as if he had been there so he's telling like a first person account like right. his personal experience with it that's what it feels mm. like so eventually the Villisca police indict him or uh, sorry um have a grand jury, you know. Oh, they arrested him, him based on they this. They arrested him oh. on this because there's also, um, they looked into him further because of this and they found that he had a history of being a peeping Tom and just having a promiscuous past as far as, um, you know, touching himself while he's being a peeping Tom into women's bedrooms and stuff. Ew. So really, that's weird stuff. But not related. Not related. Keeping Tom, axe murderer. I'll close the loop here in a second. Okay, got it. So Still waiting for that bacon to become relevant. <laughs> so he says that, um, so they bring him in for questioning. Hours upon hours, they, um, they even, because I had to bring him back into town, they take him back and forth from a jail cell to a, to an interrogation room. You know, they're trying to be nice, trying to play good cop, bad cop, you know, give him breaks, let him come back in. And they're letting him just ramble because this is what he's doing. He's just rambling. Mm -hmm. And eventually they, Get him to quote unquote confess. Hmm. So he says that he was 
after the church services, he was walking down the street. I'm sorry, I said this out of order, but so after the church services, he is walking down the street. And again, it was really dark Mm -hmm. because the city lights were off and he saw that there was a light in the Morse's house some some uh sometime in the evening, like right. ten ish or something. And so he went to go try and peep into the windows to see if there was anyone up and about and you know, if there was any women. So he said that he heard voices in his head from God telling him to walk into the house and kill the family that and the first people that he attacked were the mom and the dad in their bedroom. And after that, he went into the kids' room. He, and then room after room, he kept hearing God again saying, there's more to do. There's more to do. So there's more people to kill. So he kept walking in and killing all the kids, essentially, um, one by one. And... Eventually, he is acquitted of this. Mm-hmm. So he is, even though he is arrested, there are so many theories, and this becomes a political, religious fight in the town. So the grand jury and the jury eventually that is on his trial is so tainted by all the stories that they don't even know what to believe anymore. So they end up having a hung jury 11 to 1. Only one believes he did it. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. So they think that he was just t- taking credit for it? Or right. fabricating mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. But the theory continues. Wouldn't be the first time. After that, that he may, because he had these... Uh, sexual fantasies or needs or Mm -hmm. I I guess desires because he was, you know, we know he had been a peeping Tom before. Yeah. That. So the 12 year old Stillinger girl, there's reports that she was a, Oh, this is shitty to say a developed 12 year old. Okay. So, she was the only one that was found with blood on her lower half. Mm. So on her legs. I see. And at that time they didn't do things like rape kits and that kind of stuff. And although she didn't seem to be sexually assaulted, it just might've been. Okay, guys, this is where it gets graphic with the theory. So Mm -hmm. skip ahead. Um, that his They're bloody not. hands, <laughs> that his bloody hands, uh, grabbed her hands and, and, and spread her open for him to see her while he used a slab of bacon to masturbate. Ew. Yeah. Bacon? Mm-hmm. Oh, well that just ruined bacon for me. Yeah. That's gross. I'm sorry. Everyone loves bacon, but this is just shitty. So... Did they find forensic evidence on the bacon to support that theory? No, of course not. <laughs> Worthless. I swear to God. They, I, plus, I mean, the whole town was. But you think that this guy it. did it? That's the most believable story. The other ones are, you know, the Jones there's family, too many missing. and yeah. there's there's a lot of things missing, and it just this guy just seems like you know. It's dark. It's a thing of opportunity. It just, it kind of presented itself. There's an axe laying outside. So that seemed like the most believable story to me. And now to bring you to the spook stuff. Okay. Oh. I know. It's a true crime and ghost story. So eventually the house was bought and they started remodeling it. Currently, you can go stay the night in there for four hundred dollars. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. This is a paranormal investigator's dream house. I'll bet. The family that now owns it, the guy, there's an interview of him saying that he has never spent the night in it. 
He will not spend the night in it. He built, rebuilt it or remodeled it just to make money off of it. Make a money off of it. It's a business. Call it spade a spade. They rent it out. They let people come in, take day tours in or night tours or spend the night. And there's so much documentation on paranormal activity at this house. It is unbelievable. Well, I'll bet. So this is what was, this is the part that I was like, oh, why am I watching this at two o'clock in the morning? Oh gosh. Okay. So there was, there's videos upon videos upon videos that there's a closet door in the room where the more girls were at. It's theorized based on you know, the paranormal investigators that one of the girls had maybe hid in the closet while he was attacking, trying to hide. Mm-hmm. And so her spirit remains in the remains closet. in the closet. So there's videos upon videos of the door opening and closing. Ooh. Yeah. And I saw these videos last night. And uh, there is a small draft on in from the windows. It's an old crickety house. But as far as you can see, as far as you can tell, it's opening and closing on command. There's people I asking. There's people like offering candy to the kids saying, yeah. hey, if you come out, I'm going to leave some candy here for you. I think they do something similar at the Biltmore Hotel where they, or is it the Stanley? I don't know. I think it's the Stanley actually. Where they do the same thing, they put like toys out, oh, or they put yeah. candy out. This is a and... that's another thing they do. They because there's three boys, they um, they push balls mm-hmm. into you know the middle of the room, and they take a life of their own. There's no just rolling back because the floor is slanted or anything. It stops or it rocks into a full stop and then just starts rolling back a completely different direction. And this is the middle of the day, broad daylight. And there's a... I'm sorry that I'm not giving them credit, but I don't remember exactly where it was because I binged a bunch of videos last night. But there's a lot of EVP recordings of little kids laughing and giggling. And there's a... um, an EVP recording of a little kid saying, uh, why are they doing this, Paul? Which is one of the kids' names. And it's just very clear. So it's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in that house. And I mean, maybe someday we'll go. So yeah, there's a lot going on in that house. They don't have any answers to what the fuck happened. You know what I mean? So they're stuck there probably. Heard somewhere that the spirits don't know that it's, you know, this day and age. That they're just stuck on that day, reliving that day over and over I've again. I've heard that about spirits, um, that they're stuck in like a continuum type thing that they don't ever right. change. They don't. Like that's why, right. That's why their clothes stay the same from the same time Mm -hmm. period, that kind of stuff. Right. So that's the story of the Velisca Axe murders. I have an interesting theory for you. Hmm. I heard somebody say this on a paranormal investigation. Shout out Sam and Colby. They did like a YouTube video where they did an investigation. They were talking about that, like how people don't age or whatever. They stay the same. And they said it's because they're looped in a memory. It's actually a memory repeating itself. And it's. Yeah. So see that the the spirit or the ghost is brought from a reoccurring memory Mm -hmm. and that transfers to people. So like you and me living now, we like somehow they are able to transfer those memories to us. So we see it. Or we see them, right. you know, those fragments of their memory, which I thought was really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah, a really interesting way to put it that I hadn't thought of before huh. or heard. Oof. Yeah. I hate unsolved ones. I love them, but I hate them because they're so frustrating to me. Right. Yes. Because you're like, tell me what happened. Oh, tell me I guess who did it. I didn't tell you this. And uh, God, maybe we should not do them this late <laughs> time because i'm shit at this time of day well we're doing it late you're medicated and you've been drinking so (laughs) oh is that not a fun thing (laughs) 
a good memory that does not make. So at the same time before and after there had happened to have been other mass acts murders. One in Colorado, same thing. Whole family found dead in their house. Weird. Jones, the other businessman, had been suspected of hiring a hitman. They, his family was found dead. Whoa. All murdered with an axe. Copycat or maybe serial axe because murder. He wasn't um he wasn't even suspected in his family's murder because he was in Chicago at the time. Oh. So one of the very interesting things was that um all these places where the axe murders were happening could all be connected by trains. So these are all places that mm. could be traveled to by trains. Interesting. So there's no and our um, traveling reverend was a right? train hopper. That's true. So interesting. And no more murders happen after that. So creepy. <laughs> so th- this is Iowa's longest. It's not a closed case. It's still considered a cold case. I bet. Yeah. We want to know what you guys think, though. So head over. Did it? I, I don't know. Head over to the Instagram or email us. Tell us what you think. I want to hear your guys' opinions, ideas on this, because I I don't know. Creepy. Also, go check out the YouTube videos. I do remember one of the paranormal um, companies that did an investigation was Prism. Mm. So uh, credit to them. I know they did, did a lot of the, the EVPs on it. So go go check those out. I know I went into the rabbit hole. As you do. Uh, like I do. And the it, the videos, I mean, EVPs, most of the time it's like, wah, 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 you don't hear shit. But these ones, they do Came a really good job of remastering and editing them and taking out the background noise. And the stuff becomes really, really clear. Mm. So definitely worth a listen, worth a look. There's so many videos. A lot of them are amateur videos of people walking through the tour. Yeah. The, you know, the day tour. Um, but there is people who go there specifically with equipment or with the intention of seeing a spirit or a ghost and they know how to do it. So they're asking the right questions and they're getting responses. So they're getting a lot of uh, activity from their visits. So we need to do this. I know. I really want to go. Do you think we can talk Kara into it? No, she can drive us up to the door, though. But we could talk him into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Patino's mother-in-law would totally do this. Mm -hmm. Kara's mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would totally do it. All right. Yeah, so if you guys have your own theories, let us know. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at a stranger danger podcast. You can email us at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. Facebook is Stranger Danger colon a true crime podcast. And Twitter is SD True Crime Pod. Nailed it. Hey. That is all. And we will see you when we see ya. Bye.